Hello, my name is Robbie Ventura, and I am your host here at the Velocity Cycling Podcast, where our one goal is to get you to fast faster. There is no one way to have great cycling performance. What works for some of us may not work for others. We really want to expose you to some of the greatest minds in sports performance. And hopefully, we can try to figure out what works best for you to meet your goals and to meet your genetic potential. We're going to do one job and we're going to try to do it the best we can. And that is get you to fast, faster. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast, where our goal is to get you to fast faster. I'm your host, Robbie Ventura, and I'm here with superstar mountain bike gravel off-roader, Casey Armstrong, to tell us a little bit more about how her season went last year and the exciting season she has coming up. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to say a little plug here. Um, The Velocity platform is now officially up and running. We're out of the beta phase. So you can go to vqvelocity.com and check out all sorts of great indoor cycling workouts where our focus is really trying to help you become a better cyclist, not just to get you stronger, not to make you have more power, but to really put you in situations and give you tactics as well as gauges and different things on the screen that will help you become a more uh, efficient, uh, faster and stronger cyclist. And not only am I going to teach you how to do that, but we have incredible guest instructors that are coming in on a regular basis. And one of the great guest instructors that we have in the studio this week is Casey Armstrong. And she did such a wonderful job of creating eight workouts that were based on her um, strong background of gravel racing. And she actually did one mountain bike workout, which is Leadville Powerline. So she did a really cool job. So if you want to get better at SBT, you want to get better at Rebecca's Private Idaho, you want to get better at Unbound, or at least learn the types of efforts that you're going to experience in one of these events, by all means, sign up for Velocity and take Casey Armstrong's workouts. You're not only going to get great content, but the story she tells and the tips that she gives you, the pro tips, it's loaded with really, really great pro tips. And we're going to talk a little bit later on how she created those workouts. But before we get into that, welcome, Casey. Thank you for uh, being on the Velocity podcast. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you for that great introduction. That was very nice. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not the only one that thinks you're incredible. Obviously, the people at Lifetime Fitness do, where they selected you to be one of those. How many are there? There's only either 30 or 50 women. There's 30. They chose 30 women. So obviously, they think you're one of the top 30 female kind of gravel mountain bike racers in the country for the world, for that matter, because this is not just Americans. This is a very big, dynamic, you know, world level field. Talk about some of the people that are on this list. I will say seeing my name getting selected among all those strong women, I just remember having this real thought of, wow, I should have just signed up for the World Cup season instead. That would have been easier. (laughs) It's just you've got top names from road cycling all the way to mountain biking. It's Ladies that I've raced in national championships and in World Cups, like Leah Davidson, Aaron Huck, and some of these people haven't even done big gravel races. So Grand Prix put the word out and they got top cyclists from every discipline. And to see my name in there, I felt like that was such a huge honor. But I will say I was like, oh, man, I hope I'm not last. (laughs) Well, I... 
That is, I mean, just, I think absolutely you're more than deserving to be part of this list. And I think as we kind of think about um, next year, this year, actually, we're past January 1, um, I think it's an exciting uh, group of races. I think Lifetime does such a great job. And I think the racing um, and this this actual series is going to suit you very well. Um, you know, in, in all transparency, I help Casey um, with her training. I uh, give her some advice. I help her kind of organize her training a little bit. We just did some metabolic testing while she was in town. So I have a vested interest in Casey's success, um, not only from a coaching perspective, but also we're good friends. Uh, we met at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee uh, several years ago, and she has helped out uh, with those Blackberry Farm spring camps. So if you want to spend some time riding with myself and Casey Armstrong, by all means, head over to Blackberry Farm and sign up for either their spring or their fall tour to Smokies camps. They are spectacular. Um, okay, Case, first question. You know, whenever we talk about kind of thinking about the season ahead, obviously the, one of the most important things we can do is reflect on the 2021 season. Um, just let us, you know, give us a quick synopsis of how that season went. Well, I retired from cycling at least 20 times. So <laughs> <laughs> 2021 was difficult because I feel I was really ready for Unbound, was so excited after a year of not racing to get back, to be with people, to race. And I felt really ready. And then to be halfway through Unbound and to wreck out and have to go to the hospital to get my knee put back together was a bit deflating. And then I just feel like it was, it was a struggle. 2021 was a real struggle. And then I think I burnt the candle from both ends trying to get ready for a lead boat. And I did really well at lead boat. Personally, I do feel like I could have done better, but it was a great result. Like I got fourth place. I mean, just finishing lead boat is hard enough. And to be able to do lead boat 100 on Saturday, steamboat 140 on Sunday and get fourth place was a great way to do the season, but I know personally, I didn't feel strong and I know I can be stronger. So 2021 didn't have the best ending, but I'm really excited going forward and to have you, Robbie, helping me out because I made some poor choices. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. <laughs> hey, well, hold on a second. Now, uh, maybe on the cycling side, it didn't end so well, but on the personal side, Ended pretty good, didn't it? There it is. Yeah. I tricked somebody into putting a ring on my finger. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? When you think about the six, what you're going to remember in 2021 is your engagement um, and, and, and spending the, the rest of your life with a person that, that you absolutely love. So I think that really makes up for maybe a challenging season. But Katie, I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself. I think <laughs> your season was better than you thought. Um, yeah. You did a really good job getting yourself on track for a great, um, unbound. And, you know, you were in a great position. You were moving up through the field. You were in the top five. I don't exactly know. I think what I was like second or third. You were, you were third place and, and you had an unfortunate fall. And this isn't third place after 10 miles. This is third place after close to, you know, 80, 90, maybe even a hundred miles. So, I mean, you were well into the race and well established in that top five position. So, it wasn't like, and you were feeling good. I mean, I, for I all accounts so of things. Good. Like I got chills just thinking about it. I remember before crashing and being in a good space and working my way up through the field and just knowing I felt strong and I knew I had 110 miles left in me. But again, you can't control everything. 
For sure. And I think that sometimes when, when you get yourself in that level of fitness, right, and you really were at a really high CTL, we're going to get in that in just a little bit. Um, but when you really put yourself in that position and you have an event like that and you have a nasty crash, I mean, you really have to retool all of your training moving forward based on your the recovery and the elements and how and how much of the, the, the cost of that crash. And I think um, if, if I could look at your data and say we made a mistake or, you know, you, the, the team that you had around you might have made a mistake, it was trying to get back a little bit too quick. And instead of just kind of like pausing your calendar for a second, really understanding the depth of the injury, understanding the depth of, of the time it takes to recover from an injury like that, and then re going at it, you know, two or three months later, um, you kind of didn't even lose a beat. I mean, as soon as you could get back up on your bike, you started ramping up your volume again. You went and did, I think, a race out in Oregon, was it? Yeah, a stage race. A stage race out in Oregon that was not easy. It was hard, and you raced hard the first day. I mean, you didn't mess around. And sometimes you can have one good race, and you can kind of trick it a little bit, and then all of a sudden the, the dominoes start to fall. And I think that's kind of what happened. And then once you're kind of off where you normally are relative to where you've been in the past, the common thought, and this I've had this thought myself, racing and training and even working with others is do more to catch back up, right? Or I got to work a little bit harder. I got to dig a little bit deeper. These women that I used to beat are now beating me. And then you all of a sudden start getting in this mode of, I got to get more fit. I got to do more. I got to be leaner. I got to, you know, and it's, and it's natural and normal to do that. I guarantee anybody listening to this podcast has been in that position where, they're behind and just more is the answer. Um, and that is one of the most difficult things as a professional cyclist to understand is you just got to let people continue to go past you for a while, retool, rebuild, refocus, and and, and kind of pick a different target a little bit later in the year. So I think ultimately that's a, the, the lesson learned is we really have to retool our training plan if we have an accident. And we really don't understand the, the, the level of, of, of stress that you were under in that accident. I mean, you went to the hospital. Um, you had some serious damage. I remember we, I talked to Dr. Sprouse about it. You needed some time, some significant time off. But then there's the balance of your sponsors, right? I mean, you had yeah. to get to these races because you committed to them. Right. And I look back to that and I know 90% of that was all me making the mistake, like not wanting to miss out. And it was... You know, the first week after, I would say for a week and a half, I couldn't walk. I was like, am I going to need a walker? Like how, because I couldn't bend my knee. And then it was like, as soon as I could bend my knee, I was getting on the bike. And instead of realizing that I was overcompensating and I wasn't giving a good pedal stroke or doing my best, I just focused on riding and went to Oregon. And my first day there, my manager was like, what are you doing? Like you are still injured. You did not let us know it was this bad. You should not do this race. And me personally, I just was like, well, I'm here. Like, I'm not just going to sit this race out and, you know, I should have sat that race out for sure. So in a couple of days in, it was very known to myself that I wasn't at a hundred percent. So I stopped racing it, but the logical thing would have been to just go home to rest, to recover, to recoup. But instead I stayed at the race with my team because they were racing and I just rode the stages because 
I was like, you know what? If I can't race it, that's fine. I'll just train through this. Like I will gain some fitness by riding the stages. So, yeah. There started the hole. <laughs> and your body is trying, is working so hard to repair itself and to get itself back online. And then you're adding all of that training volume and training load. I think it was a, it was a t- tough ask. Um, I think some positive things happened. I mean, you had some incredible uh, relationships that were strengthened at this event. And I just think that there's always upside to doing something. Um, but sometimes it doesn't always, it's not always the best for your, um, for your, for your, uh, results on the bike. That's for sure. But I think, um, I think in reflection, I think you learned a lot during that process. Then you went out and did even more racing and you did, I think you did the BWR and then Rebecca's and then it just, it started just, you didn't have any time to rest. You didn't have any time to really even train. You were racing so much. And I yeah. think it was just a real tough thing. And when I looked back at your CTL, I went and looked at your performance manager chart from um, Training Peaks. And, you know, one of the challenges might have been when you get really, really fit for something early in the season, regardless if you have a crash or not, you sometimes need a big rest. Like you need a rest from all the volume that you've never had before. And if I look at your schedule in March, your CTL was up to 155, 155 CTL in March, right? That means you trained really hard in the winter and really hard in the spring and really long. That's a lot of volume with a threshold as high as yours. That is a lot of hours. And those hours take its toll, period. Nobody can, you know, do the Giro and then all of a sudden be really fit in the month of June and then do the tour in July. They take a rest and they try to survive the tour, right? They don't, it's really hard to peak for both. And by peaking for that early season event, which was, you know, uh, unbound, we'll call it an early season event, even though it's not that early. I think ultimately you really taxed yourself a lot. And instead of resting afterwards, you were forced to rest. So your CTL went back down, I think, 122 after Unbound. And then you don't know this, but from June through September, your CTL was 125 or higher. So there was no rest in there. It went up to 155 after Unbound. You had, you were forced to like lose a bunch because of the event or whatever. And then it just stayed at 125 for June, July, August, September four months in a row. Yeah. And it's not that 125 is all that high, but touching 125 and then coming down and touching 125 again would have made more sense rather than just a straight line 125. And I think that ultimately did you in, right? It was just this constant stress, not these it's cycles like of stress. Constantly on the gas. And it felt like I couldn't even go that much harder. It was just like I was constantly at this level. And then it was just like yep. <laughs> when keep when you have consistent volume and consistent everything, your training and racing becomes consistent. You lose the ability to go above and you lose the ability to really recover. So you end up becoming like this this person that's really good at going 75, 80% all the time, but yeah. Any any efforts above that or below that does you know are, are costly and, and very difficult. So I think at the end of the day, we're not going to let that happen this year, right? Yeah. But now that being said, we're signed up for this this um, lifetime fitness Grand Prix. Yeah. And if I if my calculations are correct, the first race is April 9th. Yep. Then after that, June, July, August, September, October. 
There's a race basically every single month, almost exactly a month apart. June 4th, July 9th, August 13th, September 17th, and October 22nd. So if you look at that case, that is a very, like one hard, awesome race every single month, which to me might suit your physiology really well. Um, And the reason why is because you know, that April 9th is kind of the outlier, right? There's a, there's a month in between there. There's the month of May, and then you don't have another one until June. So there is that one that's kind of put out there. But if you think about this, there's a couple different ways that maybe athletes might approach this. They might approach this to be really good for April, June, July, right? And really crush those three months. Then take August off. Don't do Leadville. Don't deal with the altitude. Don't deal with all the other stuff. Rest and then really come back for September, October. So you can make it a two peak season, right? That's one thought for for certain people. Maybe they start Leadville because I think you have to start all of them, but one. And you, no, no, you you, yes. you have to, you have to start the last one. You have to start um, big, sugar. big sugar, but you have to you have to at least start five, right? Right. Okay. And, and if you, and if you don't do Leadville, you risk, you know, something happening and not being able to start one. So you might just show up at Leadville, start the thing, and then turn around after 10 K or whatever. Um, but that's a, a, a thought could be two peaks, right? One early, one late. Another thought is maybe calm down a little bit for the first one, the April 9th one, and then try to just have little tiny peaks each and every month for the event and, and be pretty good for all of them and not spectacular for any of them. And to me, and I know this sounds crazy because we just talked about how flat your CTL was last year. I think consistency is going to be an element that's going to really be something special. So let me ask you this, is this uh, grand prix your number one goal or is it part of a goal and you have other goals as well? Like, give me the, the, the <laughs> emphasis. Yeah. It's like, I definitely want Grand Prix to be my number one goal, but there is a part of me as an athlete that's like, if I'm halfway through this and I'm in 20th place, do I find a race that I can win? You know what I mean? Yep. yep. That's, that's a great point. So just so you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast, Casey are not only doing a podcast right now, but we're also planning her season. And I'm asking her a very challenging question that's going to help guide us to how we're going to do this. So this is not only a, a podcast to figure this out, but this is also very informative for both of us to figure out how we're going to lay out the season and that the two, the two peaks is an option and to be pretty darn good. The whole season is another option. And I think we'll sort out which we think is best, but when you absolutely look at this, 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 we'll just start with the grand prix and how it's set up. Um, it really favors the consistent athlete, even though you can throw one out, the points are such where it's 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, 25. So there's not a big difference between second and sixth, right? It's not like it's heavily weighted. So if a person can manage to be pretty good, maybe not because, you know, if you're pretty good, you can get in the top 10. You have to be on perfect form to get first or second. So I think if I'm you case, we're going to focus on getting top 10s every single time and being pretty darn good. And to be pretty darn good, what you cannot do is overtrain, right? You have to almost consider being slightly undertrained and letting the race kind of bring that last couple percent to you. Yes. So 
that's going to be a, 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 a discussion that we'll have offline. But when you look at your CTL numbers, it was, they were as high as 155. You were really performing well, you know, when we came off of that and got you ready for unbound at 120, 125. It might be one of these things where we sit, you kind of float at like 110, 115. We bring you up to 125, rest you for an event. Bring you up to 125, rest you for the event. And we just kind of like do one of those numbers from a volume perspective. Now, yeah, that's part of it. Volume is part of the equation. But the other part is, have you looked at some of these races? This first one is yeah. a mountain bike race. Which now it's at sea level. Yeah. Huh? It's 10,000 feet of climbing, 100, mile, 100 kilometer um, mountain bike event. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a pretty good one. And those climbs in Seattle are steep. You know, they're not necessarily super long and like gradual. There's to get 10,000 feet in 62 miles, that's going to be all about these short, hard, I'm guessing anywhere from five minutes to 15 minute hard climbs. And yep. you're going to have a lot of them. So the selection might not be focused as much on just endurance as it is going to be dealing with those climb after climb after climb and the field just, you know, slowly but surely detonating. Um, But that'll be interesting, that first one. And I would like to come out of the box with a decent result. I mean, I don't want you to be on your perfect form in, in, in April, but I'd like you to be good enough to kind of feel pretty good about getting a top 10 in that first event. And we're also gonna see how good everybody else is as well, which will be interesting. And this will favor the mountain bikers. So that favors me, which is good. So yeah, you got the mountain biking skills. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of road riders on this group, right? I mean, but don't be, I mean, even like the likes of some of these road racers that, you know, we all know Ruth Winder can handle a bicycle. That's for darn sure. Right. Yeah. You know that like, even even the, the time trialers in here, even some of those, um, you know, who's in here? That's that's a phenomenal time trialer. You have, um, uh, let's see here, uh, Ferringer, Yingley McBride, Nash, Newman, exactly. Neben, Amber Neben. I mean, she's one of the greatest time trialers in the world, right? In the world. <laughs> in the world. And I will tell you, she's going to be just fine on that mountain bike. Uh, You're going to have an advantage for sure, but the more technical, the better. I agree. So that'll be a yeah. good one. Then we go to Unbound, right? And Unbound is one of those where you've had a lot of success there in the past. You've had a love-hate relationship with it. You've been on the podium there. But I really think you know that event now. You know the tactic. You know, I I will tell you that last year, the tactic that I gave you to stay near the front and try to stay with that front group as long as you can might not necessarily have been the right one. You've had some of your best results just kind of doing your own thing and picking people off as the race goes on. And I think we need to talk about that because, you know, and this is a message to everybody, coaches may have an idea and a thought on how to do something. You, the athlete need to be part of that process, need to be part of that conversation because you know yourself better than anyone. Coach needs to give you suggestions and ideas, but ultimately together you should decide what that tactic is. And I think last year I might've took too much of a lead on a tactical side and, and, and really didn't take into consideration some of the things and some of the things that have worked really well for you in the past that we may consider this year for the tactic. Yeah. And I think too, unbound is going to be the big one in this series because I would say three fourths of the people on that list haven't done unbound and doing 200 miles is a big deal. And so many people blow up. So many people do that. And it's just the amount of people. I remember the year I got on the podium, I came into the first aid station, which I did have a flat, 
But because of the flat, I was riding alone. It's like I come in at 56th place in the women. But by the end, I'm in fifth place because people just start detonating. People get on the pro men's wheels. They're in those groups. And, you know, you feel great because you're so excited for three hours. But what happens at hour nine, you know? So I think consistency in that race is good. But I also feel like just have done it so many times now. Hopefully, I know it a little bit better than them. We'll see. And Casey, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I think from a tactical perspective, the tactic is going to be different this year because we might not be trying to win the thing. We might be trying to get in the top five or top 10, which is a different tactic than trying to win. You don't need to necessarily risk so much in the beginning. And I think you're 100% right that Unbound is not going to secure the, the, the lifetime championship, but it could knock you out. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, if you detonate, if you, if you, you know, have a, a, a major meltdown out there and get like 93rd, guess what? Yeah. You've lost a ton of points. So it's going to be a lot easier in these shorter events like this first one, right? Yeah. The 100K XC one. I mean, you're right. That's a technical component, which could take you out if you have a crash or, you know, break your bicycle or something like that. But this unbound is unforgiving. Yeah. And if you make a mistake, you don't get, you know, it's not like you go from second to fourth, you go from second to not finishing. Exactly. And that is going to really, and this is, that's why your tenacity and your ability to keep on going regardless is going to prove to be very valuable in this series. And I'm super excited about it. Then after that, we have the Tusher. What do you know about the Tusher? So it's now for me, since I moved to Salt Lake, a local race, which is great. And it's going to be two big climbs and it finishes on a climb. But great news is Sophia, who is in the Grand Prix, she actually went to the Olympics this year for mountain biking, won this race on a mountain bike. It is steep dirt road climbs. And I think saving yourself for those climbs is key because I have other friends who did the race who are in first and second, didn't eat, didn't drink, totally detonated, and they weren't even on the podium. So I think consistency on that one is going to be key. Yep. And I, and I think again, another huge advantage towards Casey Armstrong and I, and I keep, you know, I'm, I'm always half full, you know, that, right. I always believe in, I believe in, I've always believed in in myself. I've always believed in the athletes that I've worked with. And I really believe in you and this series. And this is the third reason why, because the Tusher it's in your backyard and you're used to the altitude. You're going to spend time at altitude. Altitude changes the game for a lot of people. There's a lot of people on this list that haven't raced and spent a lot of time at altitude and don't know how their bodies are going to respond. Unbound, sea level. First race uh, in in Sea Otter, sea level. This is the first altitude race of a series. And you're going to have the advantage once again from A, being able to do those climbs in in some of your training rides, but B, you're going to be comfortable at altitude. And you know the adjustments from a power perspective that you have to make because you've trained so much at altitude. And this is... This is serious altitude. I mean, there's a lot of this that's spent above 10,000 feet. Like people think Edville's altitude, and that is, it's the most altitude for sure. But this right. one's not far behind. I mean, you start and the thing at like more climbing per mile than Leadville by yep. quite a bit. 70 miles, 10,000 feet of climbing, and a lot of it is above 9,000 feet. So that yeah. is going to favor patience and it's going to favor a very calm, steady state kind of mindset. Again, you're probably not going to win races with that mindset, 
but you will finish up there and you'll take significantly less risk. And that's really, I think, uh, is going to be our motto this year, Case, is less risk, more more reward. Um, anything else about the Tusher that we should know about? Um, how's, the, how's the gravel? Is it tough? Is it chunky? Is it rough? It's about, there's nothing really to that. I just think the biggest thing is because it's two big climbs is to start a little bit easier than you want to and not get wrapped up into the race and make passes as the day goes on. Because sometimes I feel like I can start hard and then it's like you kind of blow up and it's harder to like salvage that on a climb versus you start a little easier and you're getting closer to the top. It's easier to go harder, you know? Yep, for sure. Especially with the serious points like they are. I mean, it's just the juice is not worth the squeeze to to, to do that. So um, I think that's pretty cool. Then we have the Leadville 100. And this one is 104 miles. 13,000 feet of climbing, average altitude over 9K. I mean, there's not, I don't know how many people on that list have done this before, but I'm sure there's a, a, a fair amount. You've yeah. done it before. Yeah. Um, it's going to come at a time where people are going to start to get tired too. I mean, there's a lot of racing in May, June, and July. I mean, this, and just understand everybody that these six races are not the only six races these athletes are doing. There's a lot of other things they're going to be doing outside of these six. So it's important to realize that just doing these six would be hard. Then you throw in Cape Epic. You start throwing in other, you know, the BWR series and SBT and these other sponsor commitments that these athletes have. And this gets to be a fairly dense schedule. And you really have to take, you have to take stock in the fact that you need rest, right? I mean, gravel racers, it's, Every race is hard. It's not like they get a couple of easy criteriums to go do one weekend. It's these races are long. They're taxing mentally. They're taxing physically. The bike is moving all over the place. I mean, people haven't spent enough time thinking about the cost of these long gravel races and the requirements from a recovery standpoint um, when you're looking at such a dense season. So we're going to be very, very cognizant of that this year, Casey. But at Leadville comes at a really tough time for a lot of people. And it'll be interesting to see how people manage it. Um, if they take more of a management-based approach or they go out there and try to win it, because there's a lot of people on this list that can win the race, but you know, there's a risk to winning. It's yeah. losing big time, right? So it'll. what do you think the tactic's going to be like? So for me, Leadville is not my strong suit it's well above altitude it's not really mountain biking like specific like it is big roads you're just like on a mountain bike so it's not technical yeah I mean Leadville is just not my strong suit so I don't know if I put a lot of effort into that race because I think to racing at 12,000 feet takes a lot of work it takes a lot of you know you have Rose Grant who sleeps for three months in an altitude tent to go win this race. And I don't know, to be keyed up to win that one takes so much out of you. And right after this is when I blew up, like when I did Leadville last year and then did Steamboat, I would say that was probably the end of my season. So for me, that one, I'm just like, "Mm," I would rather be ready in September and October to do really well at those races. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I I think I think on this one I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk you out of that, but I am gonna say yeah. depending on where you're at and how you're feeling, 
we're going to attack this race or not attack this race based yeah. on a lot of other factors. This is a long way off. We're in August now, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say is after Leadville, there's nothing that challenging for the next two months. I mean, the Schwamigan Fat Tire Festival is a is a is almost a rest week, right? It's yeah. it's it's a it's basically a two to three hour event, 40 miles, not super technical, not super there's no altitude, there's not a lot of climbing. I think there's only But maybe... I feel like that would favor me. So it's at sea level. So I love sea level. I'm very good on the mountain bike, through trees, through the flats. You know, like I could do pretty well at that if I came in pretty strong, you know. Yep. For sure. But but my point is, is, is everybody, no one's going to, everybody's going to be strong and fast there. Right. I think yeah. it's, I think it's going to be true. And if you're in great form, that's great, but it's not like your CTL has to be maxed out to be do really yeah. well in Shawamigan. So we may make one last little run at Leadville and just it, depending on kind of where you're at. Yeah, um, I'm because so that's really the story there. I'm just like, yeah. oh, I'm scared of it too. I've done it twice and it, it is <laughs> unrelenting. The nice thing I like about it though, is, is you did, I love your velocity class on power line and getting through that and, and the type of effort that it takes to manage that final climb. Cause it is really difficult. Um, yeah. but then we moved to Wisconsin. I'm a cheese head, as you know, right. I love, uh, the brewers, the Packers. I love cheese. I am oh, from Kenosha, right. Wisconsin. So Shawamigan. I would love for you to come here and just have the greatest race. The people, yeah. the event itself, where it's located, it's a spectacular event. Obviously, Trek is a big part of it. I'm a huge Trek supporter, have been for my, almost my entire career. And that is almost like the respite event, right? People are going to go there. They're only going to be on their bikes. This is the first time they're going to be on their bikes for less than four or five hours, six, seven, eight hours, whatever. This race is going to be a maximum of probably three, three and a half hours max. And I'm probably going to be significantly less so than that. Good. Yeah. Um, so it'll be good. You know what I mean? I think that'll be a nice little break. And then um, don't kid yourself. You finish with a bang here. Big Sugar is yeah. a hard race. It's technical. It's nasty. I love it. This one might be Unbound in Big Sugar. going to be my favorite on the list. Like I would say events that I would just always go to, those are going to be two of them. I love yep. Big Sugar. Big Sugar was great. Bentonville, what a great town. I mean, what they've done there is just yeah. the cycling is spectacular. But again, um, 6,000 feet of climbing, not impossible. 103 miles, sea level race, a lot of things that are good for you. It's very technical. Um, the challenge of that race is really persevering because everyone, most likely everyone will have some sort of mechanical or a flat. Oh my gosh, spend yeah. time on their own. So you know, it's not one of those, you just kind of settle in and cruise. Um, it's, it's really, it'll keep you on your toes because you have to protect your, your equipment for sure. So, and I think you're going to do a great job with that. The event that we didn't talk about March 20th through the 27th, Cape Epic, that's going to be about 11 days before your first big event, which is, uh, in Sea Otter, the hundred K, uh, XC event. I think that might suit you pretty well, depending on, what we focus on during that event. If it's a, yeah. if it's an event where we kind of bump your volume up and really focus on some of your skills there, or you go there with the, with the focus of winning it, it's a little bit of a different prep situation, yeah. but we can talk offline on that. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, the, 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 the velocity classes that you just did and how we're going to use intensity mixed with volume to prepare you this year. I think, you know, I think last year, actually, before we do that, let's talk about your metabolic test. So 
Casey the metabolic test here um, at Vision Quest, and we did we measured um, we used the uh, Sebastian uh, Weber's Inside Protocol, which I love by the way, and we came in with a, an idea of we want to get a, a good idea of her VO2 max, and then we wanted to understand what her lactic threshold is as a percentage of VO2 max, and then we really wanted to understand what her VLA max was, what her um, you know her glycolytic and and oxidative or aerobic contributions were to her um, to her outputs. And Casey came in. You felt pretty strongly about the type of athlete you were coming in. Um, tell us about what you were thinking would happen on your metabolic test. I think that I have become this athlete that can hold a number like for a long time. But it's like as soon as it spikes up too much, I cannot recover from it. And I think at the end of the year, whenever I was really getting to start to work with Robbie, that was my complaint is that I'm not handling the spikes at all well anymore. So I feel like I've just become this athlete that can for seven to eight hours hold a really big number compared to other people. But what I can't handle and recover from are the big surges, the sprints and all of that that happens, you know, in the first couple of hours of a gravel race. Yeah. So what we did with Casey is we just did a, a series of efforts, um, five minutes uh, in duration and at, at given outputs. And then we measured uh, the blood lactate response after that. And we calculated the amount of energy that came from carbohydrate and fat. Um, and we plotted that on the graph. And we really learned some cool things about, about Casey. A, um, she's, she was very right about who she is and, and how she rides, right? I mean, she spent a lot of time doing long, steady state miles. And she did a lot of riding, you know, because in a, in a gravel race or in any sort of stage race, once the kind of pack separates, you kind of ride at the same pace the rest of the time. You slowly yeah. go a little bit slower if you look at all of her power files. And that's a lot of of tempo-based riding, right? A lot of tempo riding is done, uh, especially if you're racing a lot, right? So a lot of her training and her racing was done at tempo. So she got really good. And that's why I talked to you before. Her CTL was 125, kind of a straight line for four and a half months. And most of that work was done, you know, at that tempo intensity. So she got really efficient and really good at riding at that intensity. But unfortunately, she lost a little bit of her lactic tolerance, her, her high-end anaerobic glycolytic uh, abilities in the process, right? And, and she also, you know, never really got solid recovery because she was always kind of stressing herself the entire time. So she kind of got caught in this kind of evil medium of training and training a lot there. And it was reflected in her test. She had um, a really nice high VO2 max, which is, which is really important. And it's obviously she can't win big races and do the things she's been doing with a low VO2 max. So I was expecting a nice high VO2 max, which we saw. Um, and I was also expecting, uh, kind of a high VLA max, or I'm sorry, a high lactic threshold, um, and a low VLA max in just what we thought we would expect. We saw, right. She had a really high VLA max. It was pushed up pretty close to her kind of three minute power. When I say VLA max, just think about this. Her two hour power was right next to her three minute power. They were too close together. There wasn't a lot of room. Um, and her VLA max was very low. So 
we need, we talked about this and that's really important for the type of races she's going to be doing to be good like that and to have those really close together. But it's going to be hard for her to keep building her lactic threshold unless we can push up her three minute power, unless we can give her a little bit more lactic tolerance, a little bit more glycolytic ability. And that's just going to be simply some high intensity training. The bulk of her training will still be long and easy. Just don't get me wrong. We're still kind of focused on this um, polarized, slightly pyramidal approach to her training. But what we were lacking was that 20% of intensity. And that's going to be a big part of what we're going to focus on for these next 8 to 12 weeks is really building that high end. And we started with her coming to, to velocity here and putting in some really cool high-intensity VO2 max workouts. And the difference between just doing three minutes on, six minutes off, three minutes on, six minutes off, that's great work. And that's going to build her three-minute power for sure. It's going to build her high end. However, she's doing those types of efforts, but simulating some of the same type of efforts you're going to see in an unbound start or a selective element of SVT. And Casey, talk about the process of looking at those power files and developing some of that VO2 work. I do not think I was going to be that excited about it. Like, you know, you're like, let's come up with eight workouts. And I was like, oh, okay, like, let's do some two minutes, two minutes off. But then you're like, you know what I think would be a great idea is if you go back to your power files from Unbound, Rebecca's Private Idaho, let's look at those and let's put those in a workout. And so the first one that I did was this past year Unbound from mile seven to mile 27. And I, cut that out. And I did a lot of math and it took a few hours and I came up with this one hour long workout that was identical to my power file. Robbie looks at it and he's like, wow, this is a lot, Casey. (laughs) And it was, he was like, we're going to have to put some recovery in here. (laughs) I was like, that's good. Because honestly, if you told me to do this right now, I probably wouldn't survive. And so I had a good laugh about it, but, you know, doing that three hours of work and just actually seeing what I went through was enlightening. And then, you know, we put some recovery in, we made it here for a workout and I actually did that workout this morning and I can't get over just how real that feels. And, you know, even just doing the like chaoticness of it in an interval, like I made one where it's just like, 120, 140, stop pedaling, 150. And that is identical to what the race feels like. And sometimes when I'm out doing the race and I'm at mile seven, I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we going so crazy? And even though I've done, you know, so many of these gravel races, this always happens and I'm always questioning it. And so now I'm here I'm training and I know what to expect. And that feels good. It feels like I'm doing the homework. Like I would not have done this in the past. I would not have done such a chaotic little interval set that feels identical to what I did at Unbound. So now when it happens again, I'm going to be ready. And that feels really exciting. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how exciting it was for me to watch you go through that process. I think as athletes, sometimes we have coaches, they write workouts, we do the workouts but really understanding the meaning behind these workouts that you've created. I think you've done a really good job of putting eight workouts together that are really kind of focused on this Grand Prix, really. I mean, you got the Tusher, you got the Leadville, you got 
um, uh, Unbound. You have you have a bunch of cool workouts. So if someone is really trying to do any of these workouts, any of these events, they will really benefit from the intensity elements that they're going to see and feel during these events if you take these 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 workouts. And to me, I, I, I will never forget. I asked you to go kind of figure out the power pile, and you sent back. I mean, when I tell you the detail that she went into in these workouts, you tell a professional cyclist to go do something and they, they want to do it and they do it. It was unbelievable. However, <laughs> it would have been impossible to coach and impossible to follow along with because yeah. the, the changes in output were just so intense. So we kind of took she took snapshots of different parts, rollers, the selection, kind of how that felt, the start, you know, getting caught in the washing machine and getting pushed to the back of the Peloton, like. All of these elements she made into intervals that will really, um, it'll, 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 there'll be great VO2 work. Trust me, that VO2 system, the oxygen needed to do these efforts, you'll recruit as much as you have available, right? And you'll, you'll get the VO2 push, but on top of it, you'll get a very specific kind of gravel lesson as well. And Casey talks a lot about some of the tricks, some of the pro tips as well that go along with some of these efforts and how to get out of jams and how to manage yourself when you're going over these hills. And, and, and the nice thing about our software is that it adds the gradient when she wanted the gradient. And you can, you can kind of mimic some of the situations with being able to control the trainer. So the velocity app controls the trainer. So it kind of lines up with the resistance you're going to feel as well. So really, really excited about those workouts that you created, not from a standpoint of just how awesome they are to have in the on-demand library and how people that are doing these gravel events can take these very specific classes with you, a, a gravel champion, yeah. but what it did for you as an athlete mm -hmm. and what it taught you about some of those efforts and the need for you to do more of them, right? Because you even doing the workout and coaching, it gave you the understanding that, hey, I got to get better at this because yeah. once I make the selection, I have to have the ability because right now, your high end is, is down here, right? Once yeah. it gets up here and you work in this area to keep up with the high, you haven't maxed out yourself. You still have room above that. So the cost is much less. Exactly. So I think, I think that's going to be the big differentiator is the work that we put in in these next 12 to 16 weeks, because you're still going to have to do the long riding. You're still going to have to do the long steady state climbing. All the stuff that we did last year, you're going to have to do again. We're going to have to improve your, get your, your training volume up. But now we're keeping track of all your recovery using your aura ring. So we're not going to let you dip anywhere too low. And then yeah. secondly, I think this high intensity block that we're going to do early on to give you that range is really going to push you to another level next year. Yeah. And again, Case, just so you know, this is an experiment, but at least we're looking at science. We're looking at your background. We're looking at last year's work. We're looking at the, ske the schedule that we have up in front of us. And we're putting together a plan that's going to, I feel, be successful. But at the end of the day, we may throw it out the window in two months when you can't keep up in the first race. So at, at least we have an idea. So hopefully you're excited about it. Oh, I'm so excited. I was at such a low after 2021 and then to take a break, like we always do in the winter. And then to make these workouts, like I made these workouts before I'd even gotten back into bike riding this year. And I was definitely feeling the excitement. And then I started riding again a little bit last week. And then to come in here and do these workouts and it's like, I can feel in the interval that I made exactly where I was and it's just, I'm ready. I'm excited. I hope I do well, but we'll find yep. out. <laughs>
and, and obviously it's more complicated than just the biking, right? I mean, really, we, we did a DEXA scan. We have a full body composition target and goal for you. And of course, we have the strength elements that you're that you're doing as well, which are great. I think it's kind of all going to come together because some of these high intensity strength elements that we want you to do are also going to help with that tolerance. It's going to help recruit some of those fast switch muscle fibers. It's going to do some of the things that I think are going to help build that high end as well as create that, uh, that, that those fatigue resistant fibers that are also going to help you on the endurance side. So case, thank you so much for coming to velocity. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know this was kind of a, a one-on-one, like sort out your training plan and talk about your goals. But I think bringing you into the process, I think is really important because as an athlete, I always felt better about my, my decisions and what I was doing when I really understood why I understood the science. I understood last year's training and, and, and kind of like made some sense of what happened last year. And then actually got into the process of building some workouts with my coach. So I I'm hopeful that this will allow you to have more flexibility when you're not feeling good to make those pivots on your own, but also give you some confidence about how we're laying out the year and, and get you fired up for a, for a great season. And, and you have a lot of great things to look forward to. I think the season shapes up really well for you. This, this um, lifetime fitness event is right up your alley. I'm super pumped for it. And yeah. I think we're going we're gonna to have some fun if, if nothing else. Yay. Thank you guys so much for having me. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Velocity Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Robbie Ventura. And thank you so much, Casey Armstrong, for being our guest. Look forward to seeing you on the platform very soon.